want to begin this morning with a, a picture. Uh, this is some of the kids that are in our children's department. Some of you may recognize some of these. Uh, the little boy in the middle, that's Chris's son, Mason. And then we have uh, on, the, on your left-hand side, we have Lena. She belongs to Tim. He's one of our deacons. He plays the drums in the second service. And then on the other side, we have Eliana. She belongs to Matt and Corey. Uh, of course, Matt is our youth minister. And these kids have grown up together. They're, uh, the two on the left are three years old now, and I think Eliana's four, almost four. Maybe she is four. But the amazing thing is they, they hang out together all the time. It's not uncommon to come by in the afternoon and they'd be playing on the playground out here through the week. And then, of course, together on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And so they spend a lot of time together. And a couple of weeks ago, Chris was sharing with me that he, he asked Mason, he said, Mason, do you have to go to the bathroom? And Mason kind of got an attitude with him. And, nah, nah. And Chris said, Mason, you know, you're supposed to answer clearly yes or no. Where'd you, where'd you get this nah stuff from? And Mason says, Lena. And Chris said, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think Lena talks like that. Eliana. And, and, you know, here's Mason going back to Adam and Eve. He's trying to blame it on somebody else. You know, they learn at an early age. And as we thought about that for just a minute, I said, you know, you, you look at what is influencing your son. And everybody's going to be around somebody that's going to influence them. Now, we don't know if Lena or Eliana were the main influence for that. But, but you think about who people hang out with is who influences them. Now, who do you want influencing your kids? Who do you want influencing the next generation? Do you want a bunch of three-year-olds influencing them? Or do you want to be the primary influencer in their lives. I want us to think about that today because someone is going to influence the next generation. Will it, will it be us? Or will it be a three-year-old somewhere? I appreciate a teacher who handed out an assignment to a class and she asked this class to write an essay on what they were due if they had to spend a million dollars or if they were given a million dollars. One little boy turned in his paper, put his name at the top, and it was blank paper. And the teacher said, Johnny, you've done nothing. He said, that's right, and that's what I'd do if I had a million dollars. And, and you know, you, you think about this for just a minute now. This is the way a lot of people think. But you know, and I know, even if we had a million dollars, it wouldn't go as far as you think it did. Have you ever done that? Have you ever imagined if I won a million dollars somewhere? I probably never will. I don't play the lottery. Uh, but have you imagined if you won a million dollars? I went through one time, and, and I wrote down, and I, I spent a million dollars on paper. First of all, you've got to realize one-third of it's probably going to go to taxes. So that would be about $330,000 off the top, so you wound up with $670,000. And so I began to write down, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give 20% to the church. 
So that knocks down 200000 So now all you got left is about $470,000. And then I thought, I want to be generous to my kids. I want to help my kids. So I'll give each of them $50,000. I have four kids. That's 200000 So now I'm down to just two hundred and seventy left. And I started doing the math, and I thought, if I bought me a new truck and bought Jeanette a new car, and I paid off my house payment, and I subtracted all that out, and all of a sudden, all I've got is $50,000 left. You know, a million dollars doesn't go very far. And we, we have to learn, we have to think through things and be responsible. And, and it, it, it perhaps is good training for kids to think through things like that, to... to to real-life situations in other ways. Now, it's probably not a real-life situation that everybody's going to receive a million dollars, but maybe a better assignment would be, what if you had a job and you made $40,000 a year? How would you pay your bills? But who's going to teach kids to think about these real-life situations? Even more importantly, who's going to teach them to think in a godly way about these kind of situations? how they live their life. We're continuing our Engage series today, and of course, uh, I didn't bring a brochure with me today, but we're in, that, we're in that fourth, that third panel on the inside that talks about engaging the next generation. And today we're thinking about investing in that generation. How are we going to invest? How can we engage to invest? You know, how do we invest spiritually in the next generation? That's a question I want us to think about today. How do we invest spiritually in the next generation? If we're the followers of Christ, we're supposed to be the influencers for Christ in the circles in which we participate. If we don't influence the next generation for Christ, who's going to do it? Certainly not the people that don't know Christ. God has put a call on our lives to invest in the next generation. You know, last week we talked about telling of His greatness and teaching them His will and and His ways. And today I want us to think about how we will do that, how we will invest in them. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy today. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Of course, the title of that book means... uh, Uh, second law. It has to do with the second giving of the law. Most of the law is contained in the book of of Exodus. You have the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and then they're given again in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They are reiterated once again. And when we think about the law, we're thinking about the law of Moses, which is sometimes called commands or statutes or decrees or or ways of God or precepts. It is the Word of God. It is the principles that God has given us for life. And Moses is getting old, and they're getting ready, the Hebrew people are getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses uh, is not going to make that trip. God has told him he will not enter. He allowed him to go up on a mountain and look across and see it. This is sort of Moses' farewell speech as he speaks to the people and is written down here in the book of Deuteronomy. And he's trying to prepare them. 
And he even tells them at the beginning of chapter 6 to obey these commands so you will live a long life and that life will go well for you and that you may increase in the land that God has given you. And then you get into chapter 6, verse 4, and listen to what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's pretty clear instruction that is given to the Hebrew people. Of course, it's written by Moses, but inspired by God. Look at verse 4 one more time. Hear, O Israel, that is the people of God, love the Lord your God with all you... Uh, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, investing in the next generation stems from our love for God and our love for them. This particular passage here is part of what the Hebrew people called the Shema. Shema means hear because it starts with the word hear. It's something God wanted them not just to, to hear, but he wanted them to listen. He wanted them to take it in. It is a prayer. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, along with Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41, they were to recite twice a day, every day. They called it all the Shema. And he starts out talking about love for God. That was the number one thing that was to be on their mind, that I love God. Jesus even said the second greatest commandment was to love their neighbor. So they were to love God and love their neighbor. And of course, Jesus taught that the neighbor could be anybody you come in contact with. And if we truly love God, the desire to invest in the next generation should be there too. Because the next generation is your neighbor. I received an a email. Maybe it was a text message. Anyway, I received electronically a note. It was from a daughter. You know, we've been asking people to send stories. And this was from a daughter. It was about her parents. It says, I was looking through old photos and found this one of my mom and dad at a Chris Tomlin, he's a Christian artist, concert, Chris Tomlin concert. It was held at the racetrack a few months ago. It was held at Easter, last Easter, down at the racetrack. I love this photo because it captures my mom and dad's love for worshiping God. My mom's eyes are closed, hands are stretched up, and the viewer can tell she is singing by the position of her lips. My dad is in the background with eyes closed as well and his finger is pointing to the sky as if to acknowledge that he knows God is the one to praise for all that is good. By looking at the photo, it is visible to me that my mom and dad are letting their worries and frustrations go and only focusing on worshiping. 
They seem calm and at peace, even though they are standing among hundreds of other people. They are giving all the glory to God. Now, she didn't want anybody to know who that was. And you don't have to raise your hands and close your eyes to love God, but this young girl noticed her parents worshiping God, and she thought, my parents truly love God. And that instilled something in her, a, a value that she needs to take with her. You see, this, this love your God thing is something that needs to come out in our lives. Somebody asked the, the famous Augustine of Hippo, famous theologian back in the 4th and 5th century, said, what does love look like? Here's what Augustine wrote. It has hands to help others. It has feet to hasten the poor and the needy. It has eyes to see the misery and want. It has ears to hear sighs and sonnets of men. That's what love looks like. You see, what Augustine is saying is what the Scripture iterates is that we are to love God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, our, our physical abilities. We're to use our hands and feet and eyes and our minds to recognize the love that people need. And that's where this thing that God is telling the people to do starts. It's with the love for God. Now let's look at the next phrase here in the Scripture, verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. You see, love for God primes our hearts to teach His principles. You know, God's speaking to His people here about their hearts. The heart can be a fickle thing. You know that? Even Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, your heart will play tricks on you. But you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have received God's Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart. And that Spirit changes the heart. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. Romans 2.15 says, the requirements of the law can be written on our hearts. Paul said to the Corinthian church, you are a letter from Christ, written not on stone tablets, but on the human heart. The more we look into the Word of God, and the more we listen to the Word of God, and the more we let the Spirit of God guide us, the more our hearts become pliable and they change to become more like Jesus. You know, what's in the heart comes out. If your heart's truly a loving heart, a heart that loves God, that love is going to overflow and ooze out of you. I had a college professor friend. He was standing at a water fountain at the college in the library. And there's doors that open to the men's and women's restrooms on both sides. And some young guy was coming out of the men's room, and he slammed the door open, and it banged against the wall, and it almost hit the professor. As he was bent over to get water, it almost hit him in the head. And that student stepped out, and he said, Ooh, and he said a bad word. And the professor turned and looked at him and said, Did you say what I think you said? 
Yes, sir, I did. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. And the professor said, you know, if that wasn't in there, that wouldn't come out. If it wasn't in there, it wouldn't come out. But you know, there is bad in it. And I know you're wondering what this glass, this dark water in this glass is all about. You know, that symbolizes what's in us. There's some dark stuff in most of us. But you know, you can get that dark stuff out. You know, if you can get this dark water out of this glass, you pour clean water, pure water into it. And gradually, over time, it gets less and less dark. And it gets more and more pure. Our lives are like that. You know what we pour into our lives? The Word of God. We let the, the Word of God come in and we let the Holy Spirit guide us and eventually it'll push the darkness out so we'll have more pure lives. And if we're going to reach the next generation, they need to see us walking and living with that pure spirit about us. Well, he goes on to say in verse 7, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. You know, the, the, the Hebrew people did this literally. They had little boxes they called phylactery boxes and they would write a scripture and put it in that box and tie it to the wrist or they would tie it around their head. They would write scripture with a, with a charcoal stick on the door frames of their house or on the gate where they came in and went out to their house. They did it literally. I'm not so sure God meant to do it literally, but I'm sure that what he was saying is you need to, you need to absorb this word. You need to get this word in you and around you. And you know what else he's saying to the people is there are various moments in life become teaching points. God wants us to engage the next generation in such a way that we invest time in them, in teaching them, and helping them come to see what their lives can be, especially their spiritual lives, when they learn the Word of God. They learn His will and His way and His work. You see what he's saying here? When you're at home or when you're traveling through the community, when you, when you go to bed and when you get up in the morning, let these words of mine resonate, he's saying, in your thinking and come out through your hands so they are extensions of your life whether you leave the house or whether you come back home, you'll be thinking and teaching about the ways of God. Now, we don't want to ram it. You know, you can't ram it down their throats. A couple of years ago, Super Bowl 16, there was a TV commercial for Hyundai cars. And there was this uh, Kevin Hart, famous comedian, was in this commercial. And his daughter had a boy coming over to take her out on her first date. And as he arrived, 
Kevin Hart insisted that they drive his car. Little did they know he'd put a tracking device in this brand new Hyundai car. And so he followed them and tracked them. And they first went to the movies and they were in the theater and there's Kevin in the background, two rows back, looking over their shoulder as they're snuggled up watching a movie. And then the next place, the next scene in the commercial, they're at the, the carnival sort of affair and he pops out from behind a bunny. He's followed them to the carnival. And, and then the last scene, they're sitting in a park at an overlook looking over the city and the boy has his arm around her and he reaches over to give her a kiss and all of a sudden here comes a helicopter up and, and Kevin drives the helicopter right into the car and says, you done messed with the wrong daddy now. And you know, that can, we can be helicopter parents. We can try to shove everything we want them to know down their throats and, and that won't work. But what God's telling us is that there's ample teaching moments. Almost every moment can be a teaching moment where we show kids how to live and how to walk with God and how to learn who He is. And we help them get the Word of God into them. Well, here's our connection. Use the moments of daily life to engage the next generation and invest spiritual time. That's what this is about, is investing time in the next generation, in your kids and your grandkids. For sure, those. But what about those kids that don't have godly parents? We should think about them as well. and We can find ways to, to reach them. And we can be involved in children's programs and the vivid program that Jeremiah announced that we're getting ready to have this summer. And there's sports programs and scouts. And you could volunteer at school or, or uh, uh, boys and girls clubs. You know, our schools here in Bristol City Schools have a reading program that you can go and join in uh, one day a week for 30 minutes. And you have a student that you, you sit with every week for 30 minutes, same student. And all you do is read with them. What an influence you can have on their lives. But it's time. That's what God's asking us to do, is spend time. That's the top investment for the next generation. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, I just, just, I just can't do it. Just, just can't do it. I read this week, or I learned this week, about Scott... Bozer, he coaches two basketball teams, little, little kids' basketball team. In fact, in 2022, both teams made it to the playoffs. So pretty good, pretty good teams. It'd be something to have just one team and make it to the playoffs, but both of the teams that he coached made it to the playoffs in the league that he was in. And it's no small feat. The parents of the youth that he coached said he had such a can-do attitude. And he's always promoting success among these kids. One 12-year-old, Abraxas Hannah, had only stepped onto the court for the first time last year. He said, anytime I can 
I say I can't do something. Coach Scott always tells me I can. And I feel like he's made a really big difference in my life. Parents agree that Coach Scott's can-do attitude has sparked a positive change in their children. And Bosworth knows a thing or two about working through challenges. He was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at birth, hindering the muscles on the left side of his body. That includes his left hand, which does not function as well as the right. In spite of this, Bosworth grew up playing basketball. He carried that passion into his adult life, where he coaches these two teams. He believes his role is to do more than simply teach technical skills. He summarized his whole role in a recent interview with this phrase, I love challenges. So what I thought is, if God only gave me one hand to play and coach with, then I'm going to play and coach like that. You know, it's a can-do attitude. And there's a way that all of us can make a difference in the lives of the next generation. You may not be called to be a teacher or a scout leader or even a coach, but you can find a way. You can find a way to invest in the spiritual lives of the next generation. Hear, hear, O Israel. He's speaking to the people of God. Love God, he says, first and foremost. Get your heart right. Love God with all your heart and impress those values on your children. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for Moses and, Lord, how he led the people, had many difficult times. He was not perfect. He didn't make it into the promised land, but he led the people right up to it. He got them there. And, Lord, he, you used him so mightily to give us this word of God. And, Lord, we should take it take it to heart that you've, you've given it to us for a reason Lord because you want us to know it and then you want us to pass it on so that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation will take it in and then they'll teach it to their kids and so Lord I pray that you be with us and give us a strong conviction that we need to reach out to the next generation in Christ I pray. Amen.